way to dim these lights a little bit? Good morning. I can't tell you how it... Um, Just thinking back what we've gone through. That what God has for us as we engage his word together. Let's pray. God, you're so good. You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And God, we are, uh, I'm humbled already this morning that, um, that you would consider me, uh, that you would uh, consider sinful humanity, and that you would empty yourself and you would take on flesh. you become human, that you would be tempted in every way just like us, yet without sin. And that you would willingly go to the cross to satisfy a just and holy God's wrath so that we who have been given faith will never drink a drop of the wrath of God. And beyond that, God, if that's not good enough news, that we um, get to be um, sons and daughters of the God Most High, in relationship with the eternal God, right now, today, in the midst of a fallen and broken world, and for all eternity, with a sure hope that we will be with you, and that you will dwell with your people in, perf in, in a perfect world where there's no more decay, no more brokenness. God, I pray that... Uh, that we would just make much of you this morning, that we'd be in awe of who you are and what you accomplished and what you said. We love you, and God's people said, amen. So as uh, was just read, we are in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and um, really, um, it's, it's a great opportunity to preach the gospel. It's just straight-up gospel. Hebrews is uh, gospel over and over again, and... Um, I feel like at times in our Christian walk, whether you've been a Christian for a week or whether you've been a Christian for um, 50 years, we feel like we need to move on to meatier things. And I got to tell you that there is, we, we are to never move on from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we, that saved, that we heard, that saved us, and that we stand in daily. Um, and uh, the author of Hebrews is going to remind us of that today. I was in the Northwest a couple of weeks ago visiting one of our sister churches in uh, uh, Tacoma and another one in McMinnville, Oregon. And we were coming back from Oregon to, uh, to Washington. And, and, I, and I look off down the road and I see this massive bridge going across this massive body of water. And I asked my co-pilot, Ben, I said, like, are we going to drive over that? And he said, yeah, that's the only way to get from uh, Oregon to Washington. You've got to cross over the Columbia River. It's called the Astoria Megler Bridge. It's the, it's the largest trust bridge, trust bridge in North America. I said, like, I said, does that ever like open to he says, yeah, it does sometimes, yeah, when there's when they, you know, they stop cars and all that. But I'm I'm claustrophobic and I have a fear of heights. 
And um, so, like, I'm driving over this thing like I'm walking on a tightrope, and, um, and I'm nervous. But I'm also in awe because the, the bridge was 200 feet over the water. I'm not sure why they got to open it up if it's 200 feet over the water other than to scare people like myself. And then, and then I saw that it, it, went, it went over, and then it went down on top of the water. And I said, like, what's the deal there? He says, well, that's a floating bridge down there. And I'm going, like, how does a bridge float when I'm driving on it? And I just got nervous, and I made it over. Um, but when I got back, I looked up the designer of the bridge that, like, like to find out, like, what kind of a, a, a brilliant wacko is he? And his name is William Adair Bugger, Buggy, B-U-G-G-E. And, um, and he architected the bridge that was completed in 1966. Um, he was born in 1900. He, born, he, he died in 1992. And, just to, uh, uh, and, and he died by jumping off that bridge. No, he didn't. He didn't do that at all. <laughs> he, he didn't do that at all. Um, but I, but there, there's something about when we see something that is spectacular, that we're in awe of, uh, we want to know, don't you want to know who, who built it, who architected it, who, who painted that, who built that? Where the, there's a sense where the, where the builder should get more glory than the thing that was built. Um, I'm getting ready to have an MRI. And what I've learned about an MRI is that, um, first of all, this thing can like, tell everything that's going on inside your body. But you've got to go inside this machine for like 45 minutes. And, um, and I'm claustrophobic. And, and I'm claustrophobic. And they asked me if I wanted to uh, take Valium. Valium? That's it. And uh, there's part of me that went, no, no I, you know, I'm good. You know, I'm man, man enough to get inside that thing. And then as I'm walking away, I, I, I turned back and I went, you know what? Like, would you prescribe that for me just in case? And I can just tell you right now, I'm going to take the things. Like, I'm, because if I, I'm not, I'll, I'll bust out of that thing. But like the, the MRI, like who, does anybody know who created or, or invented or architected the MRI machine? This is a long time ago. I would think that there's somebody smart enough to like make one as big as my living room so I can like sit, sit on a couch. Let me ask you this this morning. Whose words and works do you admire most? Whose words and works do you admire most? Um, there's certain podcasts that I follow because I really enjoy their words. I really enjoy their message. And just a side note on that, why do we always read books and listen to podcasts with people that we agree with? If we already are going to agree with them, why even listen to it? I would, I would encourage us to always like, be reading and listening to people that are going to challenge some of our paradigms. There are certain works of people that I appreciate because of their creativity and brilliance in building something, whether that be somebody that's built a business or a spectacular building in downtown Denver, or even a church. There's people that I admire in other churches because they've, they've been used by God to, to build gospel-centered, Christ-exalting churches. Whose words, let me ask you, whose words and works are shaping you today? Whose words and works are shaping you, building you up, strengthening your faith, and encouraging you to confidently hold fast to Jesus. Might there be some words of people that you're listening to that are actually causing you to, to not hold fast, to, to let go of Jesus? Today the author of Hebrews is going to appeal to his Christian readers in that first century and to his readers today 
to consider the final words and the finished work of Jesus to help us confidently hold fast to the author and perfecter of our faith. A little bit of context, this letter to the Hebrews is written to Jewish converts to Christianity who are facing persecution for their new Christian faith. So the author of Hebrews writes to encourage them not to give up, but to hold fast to their faith in Christ. There's two great themes in this book of Hebrews. The first one is God's word. God has spoken all he needs to say through Christ, that the canon of Scripture has been closed. The second great theme is God's work. God has done all that he wants to do through Christ, that it's finished. Therefore, the implied purpose of this book of Hebrews is to encourage Christians to stand firm and hold fast to the final words and the finished work of Jesus. So like the first century uh, Jewish Christians, we need to be reminded that God speaks to us today through his word. Um, at community group a couple weeks ago, we were talking about this, and one of the people in there said, you know, I feel like God speaks loudest to me through music. And for a moment, I, went, I had like a check in my spirit. I go, can that be true? And I actually think it can be true. There's, there's, a, there's a playlist that I'm going to actually put on Realm next week. It's, it's from a TGC conference. It's got 75 songs from different authors that are, that are straight up Hebrews, that follow through Hebrews chronologically, uh, chapter 1 through chapter 13. So, so yes, I do think that, um, that God speak to, uh, speaks to us through his word, but you can sing. Did we just sing his word this morning? The truths of his word? There's something about singing. This is a total like segue, total squirrel moment, but like there's something about singing God's praises to him uh, by the words, uh, 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 through the words that he's already given us that is just ministers to our souls. It's in his word that he has told us all of God's promises. And all of God's promises find his, uh, their yes and amen in Christ. So God's final word uh, reveals his finished work. God's final word reveals his finished work so that we might hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Uh, High-level review, um, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we saw, we saw God speak to his people through the prophets, and then it said, in the, but in the last days he spoke his full and final and personal revelation through Jesus. And these, these final words that Jesus spoke fulfilled and clarified everything that the prophets spoke in the Old Testament. So if you want to understand the Old Testament better, you cannot, you cannot read the Old Testament and understand it without having the New Testament open. I just bought a, a new commentary that I'm geeking out over that's written by Beale and Carson that, is, um, that it takes every Old Testament reference in the New Testament and it gives context to it. It's just like I just got chills even saying that, like I'm a weirdo. But it is, but you've got to, like I want to understand God's word. And you cannot understand the Old Testament without understanding um, the New Testament. We also saw in that uh, first four verses that, that the author uh, implied that if you want to know the character of God, examine the life of Jesus. It said, for Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus created all things, he upholds all things, and is the heir of all things. We also learned in that first section that he made purification for sins. 
that he, that he forgave sin, and he is still forgiving sin as far as the east is from the west, and now his work is done. His work is done. All that needs to happen is people need to trust in that work, uh, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for those whom have put their faith and trust in Jesus. In that next section, chapter 1, verses 5 through 15, we learned that he is greater than and he is exalted higher than the angels. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we received a warning that we must pay attention to Jesus' words in order to escape God's just retribution and to be saved. And last week, we were washed in the gospel and the reality that Jesus, the Son of God, became the Son of Man by condescending and becoming lower than the angels just for a little while. And we learned that the grand narrative of all of Scripture in all 66 books is that God, the eternal God, is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And in order to accomplish that grand narrative, God in His perfect holiness and His perfect justice and love took on flesh, lived the, sin the sinless human life, and sacrificed Himself as a propitiation for sin or as a, as a satisfactory, um, as, as just satisfaction to, um, to stave off the wrath of God. In this new section that starts here in chapter 3, it's actually two, two chapters, chapters 3 and 4. We're just going to get through the first six verses today, and then we're going to pick it back up on January 9th. Um, we're going to be in an Advent series uh, between now and then. So in the first uh, six verses of chapter 3, um, this new section is introduced, and it calls us to be faithful God is faithful. It calls us to be faithful by considering Jesus the faithful Son of God. So the title of today's sermon is to consider Jesus. The theme of today is consider Jesus or fix your thoughts on Jesus, specifically his final words and his finished work. The author starts by summarizing what he has written so far. And he says in verses 1 through 2, Therefore, holy brothers, those who have been made holy by Jesus and loved um, as Jesus' brothers, and you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. Therefore, he says, based on on what is true in the previous verses, you holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly, heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Think carefully about Jesus. You are holy, meaning you've been set apart from this world unto God. Listen to what Peter has to say about holiness. If you know Jesus, this is for you, that you have been set apart. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and called you into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christian, you are holy brothers and sisters. You are God's people and members of his household. You are sons and daughters and brothers and sisters set apart for God and by God. And as holy brothers and sisters, we share in the family name. We have a heavenly calling. We are co-heirs of Jesus who have a sure inheritance waiting for us in heaven. And I was thinking, like, what passage would most clearly explain that? And there's so many of them, but I went to Revelation 21. 
Listen to this. Is we, are, we are holy. We have a family name. We have a heavenly calling. We have an inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven. Revelation 21. This is, Apostle John is writing this uh, after a vision of heaven. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and, he will be, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So we have been set apart. We've been given a heavenly calling. In light of these truths, they seem to leak. Like our, the, the truth of God, the, the word of God leaks. So in light of the, these truths have a tendency to leak, he says, consider Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Think carefully. Don't forget his words. Don't forget his works. Fix your thoughts on, the, on his final words and his finished work, especially in times of trial and temptation and doubt and despair. Consider Jesus the apostle. This is the only time. Does, this, does that sound odd to you? It sounds odd to me when I read it because it's the only time in all of Scripture that Jesus is called an apostle. And what's an apostle? It's one sent from God speaking to God's people for God. It's one sent by God speaking for God. We're told in chapter 1, verse 2, that in these last days, God spoke to us by his son Jesus, the eternal son of God who took on flesh. In Jesus' very first words that were, that were written in, in his, uh, by Mark, uh, very first words in his public ministry, Mark 1.15 was this, the time is fulfilled. The last days have arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. What do we do? We replant, repent and believe in the gospel. Consider the words of Jesus, the perfect apostle sent from God. Then he writes, consider Jesus the high priest of our confession. He is our high priest who mediated between a just and holy God and sinful humanity. He satisfied God's just wrath by sacrifice, sac, sacrificing himself excuse me, as a substitute for all who would trust in his work for the forgiveness of their sins. So in times of trial, let me say it again, in times of temptation, doubt, despair, this, isn't, this is written to Christians, that we need to be reminded of the gospel. So in times of trial, temptation, doubt, and despair, we're encouraged to consider or fix our thoughts on the words and work of Jesus. Consider what he has said and done. It's his words and his work that remind us of what he's done, who we are, and what, is, what our ultimate destiny looks like. And the author isn't saying here, I don't think, um, um, WWJD, um, what would Jesus do? He's not asking the question, what would, what would Jesus do? But asking us to think about the supremacy of God in the midst of trials, temptations, despairs, and doubts. We need to get back to the basics. When things are difficult, the basic, the basic therapy we need is to think about what God has done and said through Christ and then draw near to that. And Jesus is the messenger from God and he's a mediator before God. Verse 2, 
He was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. You might want to underline in your Bibles, in all of God's house, because we're going to see that Jesus was a son over God's house. And it's a massive statement and a massive difference. Jesus was a faithful apostle and high priest, and so also was Moses. It's hard to exaggerate the faithfulness of Moses and the esteem and respect that the Jewish people have for Moses, even to this day. Moses was an apostle of sorts, sent by God, who was faithful in speaking for God and mediating on behalf of the household of the people of God. And when it talks about the house of God, we're not talking bricks and mortar. Don't even think tabernacle or temple. Think of the household of God. Think of the family of God. And even though Moses' brother Aaron was appointed the high priest, it was Moses, not Aaron, who was Israel's true advocate with God. After Aaron was implicated for building the adulterous golden calf, it was Moses who pleaded with God not to destroy his guilty people. Moses was faithful in all of God's house, other than maybe that one time when he murdered the Egyptian. Outside of that, he was faithful. Moses, in perfect faithfulness, served God's greater plan, yet pointed to a greater and perfect messenger and mediator. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was perfectly faithful and obedient as the Son of Man to God the Father, who appointed him as messenger and mediator. If Jesus had not been a perfectly faithful, there'd be no salvation, and we'd be dead in our sins and trespasses. Listen to Jesus' words regarding his faithfulness or his obedience to the Father in John chapter 10. He's talking about laying down his life. He's talking about going to the cross. And he says, no one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. And in Matthew 26, 39, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he is on his knees uh, praying for the city of Jerusalem, fully human, fully God, he's crying out to God. It says, going a little further, a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus was faithful in perfection to the Father's will. Moses was imperfectly faithful, but Jesus was perfect in his faithful obedience. And we see in verses 3 through 5 that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than anything and everything in two respects. As a builder is greater than what is built, and two, as a son is greater than a servant. Verse 3, for Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Yes, consider Jesus. Fix your thoughts on the one who deserves more glory and honor than Moses and every other human being. He is worthy of ultimate glory. There is no one greater. I think about how we blindly follow and esteem and honor men and women. And there's, there's a sense where that's not bad to honor your mother and father. 
It's actually commanded to, um, to submit in one, in, to the elders of the church. But we should never give glory to any, any man. Every human being is fallible. I've been listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And if you're interested in church history at all, modern church history, to see how, um, how the church can blindly follow a man, a man who has no accountability, a man who preaches good and solid sermons, but when we listen to the podcast, we have no idea what his life looks like. You see, the only one worthy of full and total allegiance is the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect and faithful one, the one who never disappoints you, the one who never lie to you, the one whom there will never be a newsflash that he fell to immorality, that he was a tyrant, that Jesus is the only one that is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. He is the creator, the sustainer, and the savior of all that he created. Yes, Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, and there are many faithful servants in God's house, praise be to God, but none of us are perfect. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, and he testified to the things that were to be spoken later by the apostle and high priest of our confession, the Son of God and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. It would be Jesus who would ultimately deliver his people, not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin and Satan. It would be Jesus who would fulfill the law given to Moses by his perfect obedience. It would be Jesus, not the snake that would be lifted up on high that would heal the people of God. It was Jesus who would lead his people into the eternal promised land of heaven where we will enjoy eternal rest from our enemies. Jesus, the builder, is greater than that which was built, including Moses and the law and all the rest of the beautiful creation, that the creator is greater than the creation. God is the creator, the builder of everything, and ultimately it's all a result of his grace Anything good in my life, anything good in this church, anything good in your life, including your intellect, your financial savvy, your success, the way that your kids have turned out, it's all because of God's grace, that he's the builder of everything. He's the author and the perfecter. anything good that you can think of, a school, a church, a country, a floating bridge, museums, an invention, a vaccine, technology, every great person and all of their great accomplishment all point to the glorious builder of all things. Number two, a son is greater than a servant. Verse 5 and the first part of verse 6. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Jesus is the builder and the son of, uh, and son of God's house. He created all in his overall. Um, listen to Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Let this just wash over you. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Moses was a servant in God's house. Jesus is a son over God's house. The author closes this section with a warning that I find is a strange encouragement as well. He says at the end of verse 6, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting and our hope. We are his house or his household. We are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, made holy and given a sure heavenly calling. How did we arrive in this position? It's not by having Christian parents. It's not by cleaning up your act. It's not by putting restrictions on your computer, by not viewing pornography anymore. It's not by loving your wife or respecting your husband. It's not by voting a certain way. It's not by being pro-life. None of that makes us part of the household of God. How do we arrive in this position? It's not by our efforts to do good, but by faith or trusting in, the, in Jesus' finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you're here today, and, you've, and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, there is no hope outside of Jesus. We're not certain that we are saved because of anything in us. Instead, our assurance, because this Christian, this is about assurance. How do you know? Because the enemy, as we just sang, he wants to cause us to despair and to doubt. How do we know when you fall into temptation, when you have doubts, you have despair? How do you know? It's not because you come to church on Sunday. It's not because you're part of a small group. Our assurance comes from keeping our thoughts fixed on Jesus and his words and excuse me and his finished work on the cross. And then hold fast to our confidence and boast in that hope. And the logic of this argument is that those who are part of the household of God will hold confident to his words and to his work. We will persevere. We will hold on to our original confidence firm to the end. Here's what it doesn't mean. And I haven't pulled this out of my back pocket in a while. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. But those who have deconstructed their faith, who have denied salvation in Jesus Christ alone and stay in that place, they will not be saved. 
Those who will be saved are the ones who, 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 will, who persevere in the faith. And it doesn't mean that you won't have a day or a week or a month or maybe even a year or two where you have deep doubts. But when you're in the midst of that, consider Jesus. Fix your thoughts on his final words and his finished work. And be reminded that when you put your faith and trust in that, you become set apart. You have a new heavenly calling. And that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. So the question isn't, can I lose my salvation? The question is, was I ever saved? And the proof in the pudding is that there will be progressive sanctification. That there will be evidence of fruit, and it might even be raisins in a particular season. But this is a passage of assurance that we, when we're being tempted, we're in trials, we have doubts, we're in despair. Fix your thoughts on the final words of Jesus, the apostle and the high priest's finished work, that he was the high priest who offered himself the unblemished lamb so that we can be set apart and have a heavenly calling. God's final word reveals his finished work so that we might hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So today, we get to remember to fix our thoughts on Jesus and celebrate communion together. We've been reading a book together as pastors called um, A Truth You Can Taste by Tim Chester. It's been good for us because we've been pondering together like um, how often do we want to do communion? We want to be reminded for who is communion for and what does it represent? And, um, and one of the, one of the um, a couple of the reminders to me first and foremost is that communion is a reminder <laughs> of the covenant that God made with us by sacrificing his sin as a satisfactory sacrifice so that we can have a relationship with God. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. It's a reminder. I want you to be reminded as we celebrate this, I want you to be reminded of Jesus finished his, his final words on the cross. It is finished. That if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that God has made an eternal covenant with you. That you are his and he is yours. But a covenant has two sides. And as you're being reminded of, uh, of salvation by grace, his covenant to you, be reminded that, that we've been saved unto a relationship with him. We've been saved unto obedience. Not to gain anything, but because we already possess everything. And would you ponder, before we take the elements, would you, would you ponder, would you um, ask the Lord to show you, is there, is there anything that you're holding back from him?
Is there any secret sin that he already knows about that needs confessing to him? It's not a requirement to take the element. It's not a requirement to be loved by him. But if you, if you want to experience a maximum satisf- satisfaction and joy in your relationship, um, live a transparent, vulnerable life with the Lord and Savior who already knows every thought and deed. And this is the time to confess that to him. And say, God, that I uh, thank you for your eternal covenant with me. And would you help me to honor and glorify you with my life, with my thoughts, with my deeds? The Lord's Supper is the regular renewal or ratification of the covenant. Yes, it expresses God's commitment to us, but it also expresses our commitment to Him. So in the, this, this um, ordinance, if you will, of communion, God, will, God is confirming His resolution to stick to His covenant. And by eating the bread and drinking the juice, we are committing ourselves to keep close to Him, to fix our thoughts on Him. So would you pull out the, um, the juice and the wafer? And I'm going to um, ask you to do something that's going to be maybe uncomfortable for some of you, but I really don't want to see a, a, um, a person sitting by themselves. Um, if you're here by yourself, um, partner up with somebody else. And I want you to take it together. I want you to take it together. Um, and I want you to uh, just have one of you in your group pray and give thanks. Pray and give thanks. Um, so I want you to take it together. But first, let me um, remind you of Jesus' words on the night before he was betrayed. He said, on the night I was betrayed. He said, he said, uh, he said what did he say? Uh, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he took the cup of the new covenant. And he said, drink of this in remembrance of me. And be reminded that the, that the cup that Jesus drank was a cup of God's wrath that you will never need to drink. And if you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, I think Ryan might have said this, we are so glad you're here. This is not for you. We hope that someday it is for you. So let me pray and then just get in your groups and, and take it together. God, we're just grateful. Um, I'm grateful, God, that, um, that through, um, yeah, through even uh, bumbling words, God, that, that your word shines through. And we thank you that, Lord Jesus, that you who knew no sin became our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. God, we um, thank you that you would lay your life down for us and take all of our past, present, and future sin upon yourself and to set us apart, to call us sons and daughters, and to give us a sure heavenly calling. We love you. We thank you that you love us more.